because the digital yuan ecosystem is not going to be a part of the quote unquote US financial system or even part of the global financial system for that matter, it allows it to sidestep the dollar system. Again, now there's not a huge fear here, Elijah, that chi the Chinese yuan is going to take over the world anytime soon. But what it shows uh, from our perspective here is that China realizes that by getting ahead of the curve here, they're going to be able to potentially uh, take some market share from the US dollar globally. Physical silver and gold in your hands, personal service, competitive prices, and zero complaints. That's Miles Franklin. Call us at 1-800-822-8080 or email us at info at milesfranklin.com. Hey everyone, this is Elijah K. Johnson with the Miles Franklin Market Update. And back with us today is Jerry Robinson from followthemoney.com. Jerry, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks, Elijah. Definitely. It's great to have you. And when we had you on the Mugs and Metals podcast, you were talking about the new Chinese digital currency that is being rolled out. Where is China in its, in its stage of really making this 100% official? And how is this going to impact kind of central banking going forward if other central banks start issuing digital currencies? Uh, well, first of all, let me say it's an honor to be on the program today. Thanks for the invite. Uh, so China is, yeah, they have been spearheading the digital currencies now for some time, uh, the central bank digital currency that you're referring to, the digital yuan. Uh, they began, you know, researching digital currencies back in 2014. They had a failed attempt at trying to ban, you know, cryptocurrencies that didn't go over so well. Uh, and so therefore they realized if you can't beat them, then might as well join them. They were a little perturbed. It seemed from our research about Libra, Facebook's Libra, and this really helped accelerate the adoption of the digital currency that they had been working on. When I say they, I'm referring to the people's bank of China, the, the uh, central bank in China. Uh, and I think China fully realizes that uh, it has beat the Federal Reserve to the punch with this digital currency that they have uh, released. And it is the digital yuan currency. So it's, it's very similar uh, to using, you know, a debit card, maybe or credit card. If you're, if you're living in uh, China and you make a payment, well, four out of five people in China make, you know, uh, make mobile payments. They use Tencent or Alipay, four out of five payments are made with these types of uh, digital services anyway. So most, you know, most people living in China are using digital payments as it is. So it's very similar. This new digital yuan is a very similar experience to using one of these other digital services. The same way here in the United States, many of us use PayPal or Cash App or Venmo or, you know, we're familiar with these digital wallets, if you will. Uh, so China has just simply taken the plunge into the pool and said, look, we're going to release a digital version of our yuan. And what this is, the reason why this is so potentially problematic for the United States is that the sheer nature of what digital currencies are and how they are, how they can be borderless. Um, and so too, uh, 
because the digital yuan ecosystem is not going to be a part of the quote unquote U.S. financial system or even part of the global financial system for that matter, it allows it to sidestep the dollar system, meaning that if a country wanted to skirt sanctions, you know, this new digital yuan would allow them to be able to do that. Um, so again, now there's not a huge fear here, Elijah, that chi- the Chinese yuan is going to take over the world anytime soon. I mean, when you look, you know, at the, uh, the, the number of global reserves, for example, uh, held by banks, you know, 59% of them are U.S. dollars. You know, when you look at the central bank's reserves around the world, if you look at actual transactions, you know, we're talking north of 80%, 85% of transactions conducted in the United States dollar. So this isn't going to be a game changer immediately. But what it shows uh, from our perspective here is that China realizes that by getting ahead of the curve here, they're going to be able to potentially uh, take some market share from the U.S. dollar globally. And that's always, that's always been the goal, I think, of Beijing with the push for the uh, globalization of the yuan currency. They're trying to supplant uh, some of the demand for the United States dollar and replace it. And it's going to be a slow road to hoe, I would imagine, but it's a pretty big shot across the bow, I think, for the United States. When you look at the United States, Elijah, you know, the Federal Reserve has talked about a digital dollar. It's talked about releasing a digital version of the dollar. Uh, the Federal Reserve has been a bit slow on the uptake on this, um, predominantly due to the legacy uh, banking system that we have here in the United States, the legacy businesses that are so, you know, dependent upon the current status quo. And if the Federal Reserve were to, sh- were to shift to a digital currency, or even just make it, you know, something that they had along. And they're not going to replace the dollar with a digital dollar. They're going to have both for, for a period of time, just like they do in China. Even if the United States eventually releases a digital dollar, which we believe that it will, uh, it's not just going to get rid of all paper dollars at that point, maybe in the future. But that's certainly not what we would expect at the beginning. But the, the problem is, is that there's many legacy businesses that would stand to lose a lot, you know, for, from from this shift. And so, uh, so, the, so the Fed is kind of walking a tightrope here. Uh, when you think also, Elijah, about the current financial system, the current global financial system, I mean, who is, who is the winner from the current arrangement? I mean, clearly it's Washington. You know, we have this exorbitant privilege that's been called for the U.S. dollar. Our, you know, the SWIFT banking system and the entire system is really set up to favor uh, the United States. And so any messing or any tweaking of this system, uh, it's hard to imagine that it helps the United States, especially especially when it's being, you know, uh, whenever it's being uh, conducted by foreign countries that are kind of moving into this space with their digital currency, like in the case of China. So the United States has the most to lose uh, from any kind of changes to the status quo. And I think that's why they're a little bit slow. They realize that when they jump into this space of digital currencies at the central bank level, uh, they're going to be doing two things. They're going to be doing, number one, they're going to be disrupting potentially the legacy businesses, the legacy banking industry here in the United States, providing a lot of competition for it, perhaps before it's ready for that. And secondly, uh, 
they're they're also, and this is the this is kind of the tongue in cheek with the whole digital currency aspect from the central banks, is that once the Fed uh, gets around to releasing uh, a digital version of its dollar, well, what's that going to do? But educate, you know, Americans and those who use the US, that digital U.S. dollar about digital currencies. And right now, I think ignorance is bliss for the Fed. You know, I think that right now they think, well, you know, some people are attracted to digital currencies, but most people really don't own them. And so maybe we can delay this day of reckoning. But once the Fed actually introduces a digital dollar at some point in the future, uh, it's, it's going to create um, an education moment for Americans. And Americans will quickly discover that they can hold dollars in a digital format right? That's going to be something new, something novel. And what, what else is going to happen? Those digital dollars are still going to be there when they wake up the next morning and the next day and the next day, right? So they're going to continue to see, wow, I can hold digital currency and uh, it doesn't just poof, go away. There's still a lot of misnomers about digital assets and what they are and if they're safe and all of these things. So I think when the, when the, when the Fed actually releases a US dollar, it's digital, it's going to obviously disrupt the legacy banking industry here. And that's why they're slow and dragging their heel, dragging their feet. But it's also going to educate all of these people who are not familiar with digital assets, what they are and how they work. And once you, once you teach, you know, uh, people that digital assets are real, they, they're, they're things that you can use, they're, you know, that you can put them into your wallet and they're still there the next day. Well, suddenly people are going to say, well, why would I want to hold a digital dollar? Why don't I hold something else that goes up in value or that doesn't go down in value, right? Because that's that digital dollar. It doesn't matter if it's digital or not. It's still going to go down in value over time. Just like, you know, the U.S. dollar lost 6% last year in 2020 uh, in value. So if you're just holding U.S. dollars, you're just losing, you know, you're losing money. Well, it's going to be the same thing with digital dollars, you know, so it's not going to be any different. So if people can see that, okay, I can hold digital assets and they work and people accept them, then why wouldn't I want to consider other digital assets? So the Fed's kind of caught in a quandary. If it releases, a, if it tries to stay up with China, it's going to create competition for its banking system and it's going to create competition for its own dollar because it'll educate people on the fact that digital assets are a real thing. A real thing. So China is something we're certainly watching. One of the really strange things that uh, China is testing with this new digital yuan is an expiration date, which is really quite interesting when you think about what that is. That is basically that the China could put out a currency, its digital yuan, and then test it with an expiration date, especially if they were having some sort of economic situation where they wanted to spur demand or they wanted to create more commerce or more activity, monetarily speaking, well, they could say, we're going to provide some stimulus to individuals and they can use this money for the next 60 days. Imagine, for example, if the stimulus checks that we received here in America just recently, uh, imagine if those had a 60-day time limit, right? I mean, you could pretty much guarantee that almost everyone would spend it within that 60-day window because nobody wants to lose it. Well, that's possible with digital currencies. And so, China's testing some strange features with their digital currency that, that are, in some ways, a central banker's dream. 
if it wasn't for the fact that the United States sat atop the heap and had the most to lose, we might see the United States spearheading this move, but they know they have the most to lose. So leave it to China uh, to kind of open the gates to this new world that we have with digital currencies. One of the things you mentioned is if the Fed rolls out a digital dollar, right, then that might actually increase uh, the amount of people who are looking into digital assets and, and I assume digital currencies like Bitcoin as well. So it doesn't seem like in your mind, a digital dollar would take demand away from other cryptocurrencies. It might actually just make everyone more aware of them. And then people would start actually, it, the demand for cryptocurrencies would increase. That's kind of how I see it. It's just purely uh, speculation on my part here that that's what's going to happen. But it would seem like that's the most logical thing is that if the Fed does release a digital dollar at some point in the future, they said they've been toying with the idea. If they did, well, then they would just be educating the entire public on the on the safety and benefits of digital assets. Right. So that's not really what they want to do, is it? They they're trying to protect their legacy system. They're, they're trying to protect. The, the system that they created and they have benefited from. So moving into digital assets is a kind of a double-edged knife for the Fed and for the monetary authorities here in the United States. They don't want to educate the entire population that digital assets are a thing that are is that is okay because then it's going to cause a lot of education and people will start looking around and saying, well, gosh, you know, the dollar, you know, if I hold digital dollars, it goes down in value by you know whatever percent per year, uh, and certainly over a longer period of periods of time, I'm losing value. But I could hold these other you know coins that over time seem to do better, and they go up in value. So it's it's very similar. And when I think about economic history, it reminds me of the competing currencies that we saw back in the free banking era in the late 19th century, after the first central bank and the central second central bank of the United States, the, those central banks that had failed. Uh, and then we had this free banking era with lots of competing currencies. You know, the Confederacy had its own currency. In fact, many states and many banks had their own currencies. Um, and uh, it was, a, and that's when we had the Federal, Federal Reserve born in 1913 that kind of moved us toward this dollar standard. And it reminds me a little bit of that time where there was some free thinking going on about currencies, you know, and um, we had long thought, you know, that gold and silver would play a role in this awakening of the monetary system. Uh, and it, it is. I mean, there's no doubt about it that it is. I'm very happy to see that because of the advent of things like Bitcoin, uh, that people are waking up to the fiat monetary system that we have, the fiat currency system that we have. Um, Elijah, that's something that you cut your teeth on whenever you were, you know, learning all about economics, very young. I mean, you you knew about this stuff at a young age, which is so, just so wonderful. And the, when you get on social media or whenever you look at anything about Bitcoin, what you see is that the people who are interested in Bitcoin understand the fiat nature, not all of them, but so many of them understand the fiat nature of the currency of the United States dollar. And that's what's compelling about Bitcoin is that it's finite, right? Well, uh, 
you know, who would have, who would have realized that it would have taken digital assets to be able to help wake people up to the fiat currency system that we have, the fractional reserve banking that's insidious, you know, the way that money is just created out of thin air, modern money, mo- modern mon- monetary mechanics with one of our chapters of our book, Bankruptcy of Our Nation. You know, who would have thunk, you know, that something like Bitcoin, you can't even touch or feel, would be the thing that would help people understand the insidious nature of fiat currencies. And, but we're seeing that. And so on in many levels, uh, those who are gold and silver investors or aficionados, you know, should not see um, an enemy in Bitcoin. They should realize that both are serving to protect against the, the devaluing of the United States dollar. So we, that's why we like both assets and we've liked both assets for a long time. We were fortunate enough to get into, you know, Bitcoin very early. Um, and that was a great thing, but it, I'm still stunned by people who don't understand that Bitcoin's whole purpose was, uh, was born out of a rejection of the fiat currency system. I mean, if you read the white paper, it's pretty clear. So, and plus when you look at the protocol, it's made to be finite. So, you know, it's, it's as uh, Jerome Powell has stated, Bitcoin is uh, similar to gold in the fact that it's a speculative tool, um, but it's also been holding its own. Many people like to talk about the volatility of Bitcoin, um, but if you've held Bitcoin for any period of time, uh, five, six, seven, eight-year time period, you know that you know its its volatility tends to push in this direction as opposed to this direction. So now, will that continue? We'll see. The finite nature of it makes it likely that the price will continue to rise. That's what we expect. But that doesn't mean that we hold Bitcoin to the exclusion of anything else. That would be absurd. You know, we teach diversification. So Bitcoin, having a little bit of Bitcoin, having some gold, having some silver, you know, having uh, other commodities, having stocks, having real estate, having your own business, uh, you know, all of these things make sense. Being diversified, putting all your eggs in one basket in this environment could be dangerous because the, the people who make the rules could change the rules at any time. And the people who make the rules are the Congress. And we see that some rules could be changing, you know, and so it's important to be diversified in this environment. I think one of the things that is ironic with respect to cryptocurrencies is, for example, Bitcoin was created kind of, there are three, three reasons behind it, right? It increases uh, privacy and anonymity. It's not perfectly anonymous, but it kind of increases that. It is decentralized, right? And there's a limit on the supply of Bitcoin. There can only be 21 million ever created. Now, when it comes to the central banks looking at, okay, we might roll out our own digital currency, it's like exactly the opposite. It seems like it would be less private, less anonymous. It would be centralized to not decentralized. And it, there's, it doesn't seem like there's any indication that it would be limited in supply. And you mentioned how China is already looking at putting like an expiration date. So then that kind of is like, well, you have to spend it within this amount of time. So that just increases control 
What are your thoughts on all that? And maybe the concerns, do you have concerns with respect to digital currencies from central banks that it's really kind of maybe going in the wrong direction? All the bad things about fiat currencies, it's even, it's even more so. So your thoughts on that? Well, that's a good point. And this leads me into the thoughts about the unintended consequences of decentralization. This has been a common theme that I've been thinking about and writing on recently, just privately. Um, haven't really released a podcast on the topic yet, but or you know any kind of articles on the topic yet, but I've been thinking quite a bit um, about the unintended consequences of decentralization. And I think we, in 10 years, you know, right now, you know, it's, it's exciting, it's new, the decentralization, you know, what's happening and, and uh, this fight between decentralization and centralization and all of this. What's ironic, uh, Elijah, is the fact that decentralization as a concept is as old as the hills. You know, it's not new at all. I mean, anybody who knows what the printing press is understands what decentralization is. Anyone who knows what the Protestant Reformation is knows what decentralization is. Anyone who knows what the, uh, the founding of the United States and the American Revolution or the French Revolution knows what decentralization is. Decentralization is overthrowing centralized powers. It's rebellion. Uh, it's, it's the idea that we don't need those people standing in our way. That's what decentralization is, right? Um, and so we've, we've seen numerous instances of decentralization throughout history. It's, it's just given a different name. So decentralization is a cute word. It's a nice word. It makes us think that, you know, something new is happening, you know, but in reality, nothing new is happening. There's no new thing under the sun. What this is, is, uh, is a technology that is now available to us that allows us to cut out the middleman, cut out the third party, cut out the third party intermediary. And while it is novel in some ways, it's ultimately going after the same thing that the, all previous forms of decentralization have gone after. And it, and it leaves the authorities with the same conundrum, you know. Uh, how did the Catholic Church handle the, the uh, exodus of the Protestants who, who left the Catholic Church, took the book that the Catholic Church had put together, took it out of the Catholic Church and said, we're going to use this without you, right? That's exactly what decentralization is. Uh, what about the uh, American revolutionaries who, who took the, you know, the benefits of the British Empire, had all the benefits of you know, being British uh, citizens, and then you know, turned the tables? Um, and it left the, the powers that be in a quandary right? How, are, how do they handle this? What do they do with this? That's exactly where the Federal Reserve is. That's exactly where Washington is today. They're in a situation where the decentralization, whatever you want, whatever form it takes today, has occurred. And now the powers that be say, what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to maintain power? How are we going to maintain control? How are we going to do this? And that's why the Fed is, you know, dragging its feet with any kind of a solution, because it realizes how important its answer to this challenge really is. Um, now, uh, but now back to the unintended consequences of decentralization. So at first, it all sounds great, right? So now we're going to have trustless money. We're going to be able to transact without these third parties. And all of that is, you know, very powerful, very innovative, and all of these things. But when we go down the road 10, 20 years down the road, 
I think we're going to be talking perhaps more about the unintended consequences of this decentralization, just as they did with the printing press, just as they did with the Protestant Reformation just as they did with the American Revolution, and on and on. All of these instances, and, and they're, they're, they're not perfect, instant, they're not perfect uh, examples of decentralization, but you can see what I mean. You can see how many of these things today, we look back and say, look at the unintended consequences that arose from these acts of decentralization. I know there's going to be many unintended consequences that arise out of this advent of blockchain that we're not thinking about now. But we can imagine what some of them might be, you know, if we think if we think hard enough. I think that's a really good point. So, like in your mind, what are some action steps that people should take, right? Because it's like the fiat system that is centralized. You know, we have the Federal Reserve, kind of like a central entity controlling the dollar. You know, and it's a very centralized institution, and there's there's negative consequences about that, right? That you know, uh, they can create as much money as they want, right? We've seen the increase of the money supply, a historic increase in the money supply in 2020, right? And it's like, well, what, how is that going to impact the value of the dollar? We don't know. There's how, we have to protect ourselves against that, right? So at the same time, though, if we go to complete decentralization, it's like you can just have chaos. Um, so mm -hmm. I think there's definitely a balance. So in your mind, what are the action steps that viewers can consider um, to kind of maybe find that, that balance for their, for their own lives? Hmm. Well, I think ultimately it always boils down to just taking responsibility, you know, for one's, one's own situation, being a good steward. Um, so the, you know, I think there's a, there's a tendency, I think, in many people to try to find a silver bullet in this situation that we're in and just pile all into it. Um, there are not too many good instances of that in the past, though that good examples of that that went well. Uh, so we really, really stress the need to be diversified. I cannot stress that enough. Um, I just simply can't stress it enough. Yeah. Uh, I think people should think broadly when it comes to their financial situation. They, they should think not only about how can I diversify my investments, uh, but also how can I diversify my savings, right? How can I diversify my savings? Because of course the dollar is losing value over time and it shows no sign of stopping given the policies and the reckless fiscal and monetary policies that we see. Uh, diversifying income would be an enormously beneficial thing for many people to do to create multiple streams of income. So to be thinking in terms of this and also just to be a good steward. I mean, in this environment where there are so many bubbles being blown, uh, it's hard not to feel like a genius. You know, when you look at, when you look back, uh, you know, the last 12 months and you look at the performance of many stocks or cryptocurrencies or whatever, I mean, everybody feels like a genius because look how the Fed has just caused all boats to rise. I mean, anybody who bought real estate a year ago, anybody who bought cryptos a year ago, anybody who bought stocks a year ago, I mean, they all feel smart, you know, because they're like, wow, everything's up. Well, you know, um, I think it's important to 
keep our psyche intact here and not get ahead of ourselves, realize the reason why all of these things are going up is not a really good reason. It's not a very good reason. In fact, it's a pretty bad reason. The reason why all of these things are going up is because we believe in this society that the present must be the minimum. I'm going to say that again, that we believe in this society that the present, whatever the present is, must be the minimum. That means that if I have a job and I'm getting paid $50,000 a year, well, I should be getting paid. I should get a raise this year or next year, right? It, that if I, own a, if I own a house, that house should go up in value next year. That if I have a stock portfolio, that stock por- portfolio should go up next year. That if I have you know, gold or silver or cryptocurrencies, that they should all go up next year. In other words, the present Right now, whatever this is, the present right now, 2021, that needs to be the minimum, right? Whatever the minimum wage is today, it needs to go higher next year. Everything has to go higher all the time. Now, this is foreign to history. I mean, except for those episodes of crazy hyperinflation that we've had. So we live in this, in this crazy world where the present is the minimum. We're, we're the anomaly. We're the ones who are strange in history. This isn't normal. Um, and so we have this expectation that everything is going to go up. And so in this environment, it's a dangerous environment because it's a game of musical chairs. How long can this nonsense go on? How long can the present literally be the minimum? How far are we going to stretch it? I don't know. I don't know the answer to it. Um, I've thought and meditated on it for quite a long time. You know, I've written a book called bankruptcy of our nation. It's, it's a problem. We have a real big problem. Uh, in this country, uh, around the world for that matter. And it's rooted in our philosophies. It's rooted in our ideas of how things should be. And they, they're contrary to nature. They're contrary to what's normal. Uh, so we've, we've kind of made a mockery out of money. We've kind of made a mockery out of the economy. And now it's just a matter of, can we hold it together? Can we hold together this mockery that we've made of of, uh, of even of history. Can, can we hold it together? We're in a very strange experiment with the fiat currencies that we have. I don't know when it'll end. I don't know exactly how it will all end. Um, but I do know that eventually next year, the raise won't be, won't come. I know eventually the next year, the house value won't go up. I know that eventually that next year, you know, your stocks won't go up. We will reach a place where we will have to deal with this insanity that we have been living with for so long, where everybody thinks that money grows on trees and you can just print it out of thin air. This, it's insane, but it's how it is. It's how it works. Um, and as long as everyone's willing to go along with this situation, then it's kind of self-fulfilling. But we can think of Actors like China or Russia or others who are not so intent on seeing the U.S. thrive and survive, and we could see how they could mess with this system and cause it to uh, you know, come to a premature end. We could think of China selling its bonds. We could think of, of uh, China using this digital yuan or even embracing Bitcoin, which they recently did. The People's Bank of China called Bitcoin an alternative investment. Uh, just last week. I mean, that's a, 
that's a big shift from just a few years ago when they were trying to ban Bitcoin, found out they couldn't do it. You can't, you can't ban a borderless you know, uh, currency that has no government. But, but they tried. And now they just gave up and said, well, it's an alternative investment. So I think, I think the, uh, the deck is stacked against uh, those who believe that money can be printed out of thin air and everything will be fine. I think the deck is stacked against those people. And I think for those of your listeners who are listening to this saying, well, how do I prepare? Again, it goes back to diversification, realizing that you really can't prevent what's going to happen uh, when it does happen eventually. But you can protect yourself by A, trying to adopt a different philosophy than what the world is promoting here about how you know money can be printed and everything will be great and everything will keep going up and the present is the minimum. You can, you can counteract that through your own philosophies. You can counteract that through your actions. You can counteract that through your thinking. And you can diversify your savings, your investments, your income, and just make it a way of life. You know, it really is a way of life. It really is a way of thinking. That's what we do here at followthemoney.com. We have many members around the world and we teach them these concepts. We have an income university that teaches 22 different income streams that you can create both now and retirement. We teach people how to buy Bitcoin, how to buy cryptocurrency. We, we share with them what we own. Not that that matters. I mean, not that, you know, I'm any smarter than anybody else. It's just that, you know, I, I like to share what I do so people can see, you know, wh- what am I doing? Because many people don't know how to get started. Uh, and then we also teach people the art of trading and how to invest in stocks for the long term or how to approach gold and silver. I mean, all of these things we educate on and we're trying to teach people a, a different way of thinking about money. And so your last question there is so profound in the fact that it really is about changing minds. And, uh, and also, I think one more thing I would add, Elijah, is to teach our kids these things. Look at you. Look at, look at what your family did for you. They helped you understand early on uh, the insidious nature of our monetary system. Uh, that has helped you, Elijah. It's helped you in your thinking. And you know how, how uh, impressionable children are. I believe that we should teach our children uh, what we know. Uh, we should, and, be, and believe it or not, they want to know. I mean, I have two young boys, and they already, you know, they are already investing in in silver and uh, in uh, cryptocurrencies. You know, they're you know six and eight, you know, and so, but they they understand the importance of that, and they understand about the dollar and the fiat nature of it. I mean they, they want to know this stuff and they should know they're the ones who are going to have to shoulder, you know, the, the crisis that's going to unfold because of our nonstop, uh, you know, insanity over the monetary system. So, you know, teach your kids, don't hide, don't hide this information from your kids. Don't, don't let the joke be on them. Tell them what's happening. Let them know what they're up against and, and help them to help them see how they can, they can diversify their income streams when they get older. They can diversify their savings. Help, help your children. I think we can all just help those around us, right? I think that really boils down to what I'm trying to say is that let it start in your own home. Uh, create those philosophies, generate those philosophies and ideas that, that really gel with sanity. And, and then teach those to, you know, your children. Uh, they want to know and they need to know because they're on the hook for all this money. Look, whenever Washington, you know, spends money to do whatever it does, it's not using its own money. It's, it's 
it's borrowing money and we're the co-signers on the loan. And that includes our kids. They need to know what they're getting into and we need to tell them. So many good points there of, yeah, like diversification and really taking charge and saying, you know, maybe, maybe we can't change the system, but we can definitely change the way that we're responding to the system mm. and, and how we can mm. protect and, and prosper for the future. And That's right. before we let you go, Jerry, any last thoughts you'd like to add and where can people find you online? No, I think that sums it up. Uh, but I would say, yeah, uh, check out if you like podcasts, if you like, you know, we do a, we do a podcast regularly at followthemoney.com. You can go to our website. We have podcasts. We have a, lots of videos we've done over the years. And of course, we have a premium membership for people who say, look, I want to learn how to get ahead. I want to learn how to trade or I want to learn how to invest properly. I want to know, you know, what's in an uptrend. I want to know what's in a downtrend. I know I want to know what that all means. I want to know about cryptocurrencies. I want to know how to create multiple streams of income. Well, that's what we do here. Uh, we're, we're really focused upon education, education. So we want to help teach you. Uh, you can go to followthemoney.com and uh, just start checking us out. Yeah, sign up for our free email newsletter. We'll send you our podcast regularly and other things as well. But uh, I sure do appreciate being on and I, I really do appreciate the work you're doing, brother. Thank you, Jerry. And we definitely appreciate the work you're doing and having you on to share these insights. If our viewers would like to hear more of these interviews, please hit the subscribe button and the bell icon to be notified of all the new interviews we're doing. And once again, Jerry, thank you so much for your time and God bless. Thank you. Physical silver and gold in your hands, personal service, competitive prices, and zero complaints. That's Miles Franklin. Call us at 1-800-822-8080 or email us at info at milesfranklin.com.